welcome to episode three of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary, with Kristen and Catherine, where we believe there is nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club, where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. We are uh, starting off this week talking about our favorite series. If it hasn't already become obvious, we both love series. I'm more of a series person than I am a single book person. So, um, what's your favorite series? Um, my favorite series, I'd have to say, is probably Throne of Glass uh, by Sarah J. Mass. Um, it's the first of her series that I read, and um, after I read them all, I immediately got all the audiobooks so that I could listen to it whenever I was working or working out or just wanted kind of a pick-me-up. I just love the main character and a lot of the side female characters because they're all very badass. I also love Vampire Academy because I would die for Dimitri because he's so dreamy, but also because Rose is a badass protagonist as well. I really just love series with a badass female lead who doesn't take anyone's shit and can kick your ass. What about you? Uh, For me, it would have to be A Court of Thorns and Roses Times a Million by Sarah J. Mass. I feel like we just really have a a thing for her. Um, I don't even know why. Like, it has all the elements that I really enjoy in literature. It's, you know, it's fantasy It's got romance. It's, you know, it's got all those things. But I also feel like it's one of the first series that I read, not where the female was badass, because there's lots of badass female characters in literature, right? Um, But it it just, for me, it just showed a different type of female character. Like, yes, she was badass. Yes, she don't need no man, but she got one anyway. (laughs) But she was sort of such a flawed main character. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, like I haven't gone through a whole lot of trauma in my life to appreciate uh, characters who have also gone through trauma. But for some reason, it's just like the idea that, that the main character doesn't have to be, uh, you know, perfect in every single way really resonated with me. It showed an accurate representation of, uh, PTSD and how that manifests in different people. I just thought it was such a refreshing, interesting take on the sort of fantasy romance sort of genre, I guess. And actually um, showed real mental health issues. Yes. And like discussed them in a, in an appropriate way. So I don't know. I just, I really appreciate that about her as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, And of course, I mean, I'm also all over Vampire Diaries, and I actually loved um, loved the Cassandra Clare series, um, City of Bones, the Mortal uh, Instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really loved that so much so that if you've read the books, you know that there's sort of a bomb dropped in at the end of book one. This bomb sort of follows into book two, and then you don't really get closure on it until the end of book three uh and i remember reading book one not being happy with the with that sort of this sort of surprise twist so i literally had to read ahead i wikipedia'd all the books 
so that I could figure out whether this sort of this surprise twist was factual or whether mm-hmm. it was whether what was going to happen uh, because I was so invested that I was like, if this is true, I cannot continue reading. <laughs> yeah. Those, I just, I fell behind on Cassandra Clare. There's so many books that she's put out in the same universe that I now kind of just feel like I can't go and pick up one of her other series because I don't remember what happened anymore in the original Mortal Instruments and then the Infernal Devices. So those are the ones that I've I've read, but I kind of have started listening to them on the Libby app now because I just, I want to try to get into her other books. And also I, we have to, uh, we have to mention Kelly Armstrong because mm-hmm. she's another one of these like badass writers who writes really strong female characters. She's a Canadian writer. And I actually got into her originally as a teenager with her teen series. And then as I grew up, I moved into her adult series and it's awesome. So yeah. So I guess moving on, as you guys all know, we are reading A Discovery of Witches. We are on part three of four today. Yeah, and as a heads up, we're not a spoiler-free zone, and things might get a little saucy. Okay, so uh, last week we uh, ended off with um, Matthew leaving Diana in France to go back to Oxford, Um, and he essentially, I guess, broke up with Diana is the word. Like he said, we're not going to break the covenant, um, that magical rule in place that says, uh, that they, two different creatures can't have a relationship. Um, and essentially Diana saying, well, I love you and him sort of just ignoring it and leaving her. So she's here staying at his house. By herself, without him, uh, his mother tells her uh, Matthew's creation story, like how he turned into a vampire. Um, and yeah, that's where we left off last time. So we're um, starting week three, uh, which starts at chapter 24 and goes all the way to chapter 33. We start off with uh, Diana throwing herself into her work. So all of a sudden she's back on her um i don't know her paper train her thesis train um because or getting ready for the conference train <laughs> <laughs> yeah that magical conference that we've barely heard about that's really important to her uh so you know she's busy doing that because she doesn't have him to distract her and she needs something to distract her because she's so upset matthew's mother yesbo decides we're going riding because Matthew made her promise to take her for exercise. So even though he's not there, he's forcing his mother, who is God only knows how old. Like we know that she has to be at least, I would say, 16, 1700 years old. And he's essentially making her babysit and (laughs) take her riding. And also promise a whole bunch of shit. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So she has to take her riding. Diana essentially says, oh, you don't have to worry about me getting exercise. Because essentially the whole reason she needs all this exercise 
uh, we've talked about because she has an excess of adrenaline. So she needs to exercise to um, sort of work off that extra adrenaline. But Diane says, oh, don't worry. I'm not having as many panic attacks these days. So I sort of just attribute that to, well, maybe she's expending more magic. She did the witch wind. She did the witch water. Um, Mm -hmm. So more magic is coming out of her. So maybe that's why her adrenaline is not so high. Like her magic is finally being used. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, They do go sort of, I don't want to say primitive, but old-fashioned Yeezabo rides side saddle. So she makes Diana ride side saddle. And I don't know, just sort of like, I guess it's a, it's a, I guess it's a vampire thing. They feel the need to be controlling, I guess. But, you know, Yizabo already had the saddle mount. Like, she should know that a modern 21st century woman wouldn't know how to ride sides at all. But yet she's forcing her to do it anyway. Well, I don't remember hearing anything other than the original objection to side saddle. Like, Diana never did say anything about being bad at it or anything. No, she didn't. And she didn't say anything about it being uncomfortable. From what I've heard, side saddle is super uncomfortable. Barely ever ridden a horse, not side saddle. (laughs) So I can only imagine that's already uncomfortable enough. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, I also have not ridden a horse, like, astride Mm -hmm. very often either. Maybe a few times in life. Yeah. But- just from like consuming the amount of words that I consume, I've just I've heard a lot of people complain about side saddle. However, I will say her motives are uh, not. I don't want to say they're not sincere because she's sincere in what she's doing, but she's yeah. an ul- she has an ulterior motive. So essentially, she takes Diana hunting. She says, "I need to hunt." So you're going to come and watch. And she does. She catches a rabbit, then a mermit, then a fox, and then a wild goat, and finally a deer. And Diana apparently was fine with everything up to the deer. She sort of was like a little like, oh, do you have to? And Yuzubo was like, well, yeah, this is who I am. So if you say that you love my son, like, get on board. But I don't know. Just like, I get it. Yizbo doesn't really know her. She's sort of this random witch that is coming into her family and is like all of a sudden um, intent on, I guess, destroying the family. Like not on purpose, but by mm-hmm. being by them being together, it's like putting her family at risk. So I mm-hmm. get the the want to test her, but she's I don't know. I just feel like she's going about it in a bit of a like backstabby like way. Yeah. Well, I think it's also like she's trying to be like, "This is who we are," and if you can't handle me doing this, how are you gonna how are you gonna be with Matthew? Which, like, I I kind of understand, but she has to know that Matthew is gonna lose his shit when he comes home. Like, <laughs> for real though, Matthew's not the easiest person to live with. It doesn't seem like so. You know, he's gonna come back and be so angry about this, but. What else is Isabeau supposed to do to show Diana that she has no idea what she's getting into? Yeah, they've literally known each other for like two weeks. Yeah, if that at this point. like If that, yeah. 
So Yuzbo essentially admits to Diana that it was a test to see if, like, seeing a vampire feed would scare Diana. And she says, well, you're going to have to try harder, essentially. And it's like, can we go back to the house now? Like, And it seems like that progression was, you know, her tactic. Like, start small and then see see how she reacts when I hit the larger game, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she also sort of, like... I don't know if rewards Diana is the right word. We sort of, she tells Diana about uh, Philippe, who is Matthew's, I'm going to say father, very loosely. So we learned in the creation story that Yuzubo made him a vampire Mm -hmm. by biting him. So Philippe was Yuzubo's mate, I guess we'll say, husband. He had no part in making Matthew. He's just Yisbo's partner, so I guess he sort of adopted him in. But we learn that everybody loved him so much, uh, but he was killed by Nazis in the 1940s. And apparently witches were sort of involved and helped make it happen. And that's why Yisbo hates witches so much, because they helped kill Philippe. Which actually, like, surprises me a lot, because I feel like... Yes, in human times, the 1940s was ages ago. But for vampires, 1940s is quite recent. You know, like not even 100 years ago. She seems, Yisabo seems very put together for, I guess, recently losing her husband. Her mate, who she's had for at least as long as Matthew's been around. So she's had him for a very long time. Yeah, like 1,500 years. Yeah. And we, do, we don't really, I don't know if we ever find out how old she is either, but like that is a very short period of time based on how long she's been alive. So yeah, so that was a sort of a nice, I'm not going to call it a treat for Diana, but it sort of allowed Diana to see more clearly into Yuzubo's character. So she's here like obviously for a few days by herself. So, you know, she's riding with Yuzubo. Then she learns how to make this special tea from the housekeeper, Mart. Um, So they make a tea together. And Mart said she has to be very precise on how to make these tea bags. Like they have nine different herbs in them. And you have to take a pinch and make each tea bag individually and take a pinch of each herb and drop it into each tea bag. And at the time, this is very inconsequential, but we see later that it's not... Mm-hmm. It, it has sort of a deeper meaning. Diana finally calls her Aunt Sarah, who I also feel like we've sort of had a rough relationship so far this book. Like they're not, it seems like every conversation they have, they don't really get along. Let's her know everything that happened. So tells her that Matthew left her, tells her, I guess, about the whole thing with the bad guy slash love my life, Domenico. <laughs> and also tells Aunt Sarah that she's in love with Matthew three weeks in and says that she understands if they can't be a family anymore because Diana's plans, even though Matthew says they're not going to break the covenant, Diana says, no, we're, we're breaking it. He's mine forever for as long as I'm alive. So that means we're breaking the covenant. So you might as well like just deal with it. If it's not safe for you to like be around me or be associated with me, I understand. And Sarah, you know, sort of says, like, man, grow up. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, I feel like she's a lot more mature than I would have been in that situation. I would have been like, Diana, you've known him for 45 seconds. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to get rid of your family now who's been here for you for your entire life just because you found a man for 45 seconds. Like, and he's a vampire. He's going to outlive you and outlive that. Find somebody else in a little while. Like, seems wild. Yeah. Um, Although... It's very, it's a very Elsa situation. Like you can't, again, we said this before, it's very, you can't marry a man you just met. Well, Diana, same goes. You can't sacrifice your entire life for a man you just met. It's true. But she does. She does anyway. But it works out because Sarah and M, Emily, decide that they're going to stand by her and sort of approve of the relationship since it's what Diana wants. So... That's nice. They have very understanding. So after she talks to Sarah, she calls Matthew. This conversation to me was so weird. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was weird for you like it was weird for me. I just. So essentially, she talks to Matthew on the phone. I just find Matthew actually calls her and they're, they have like a moment where, I don't know, they just, they don't act like he essentially broke up with her and then left. You know what I mean? Like, essentially, that's what it was. He said, we're not breaking the covenant. We're not going to be together. I'm leaving. I can't be around yeah. you. To me, that's a pretty clear, like, breakup. Regardless of her knowing he feels differently or her feeling a way about him, To me, that doesn't really make a difference. Like, he very clearly said, we're not breaking the covenant, I'm leaving, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's breaking up with someone. Yeah. But when she, like, talked to him, he was, like, so happy to talk to her and, like, you know, relieved to hear she was okay. And they were sort of chit-chatting and I don't know, it just like, to me, I would not be able to have that sort of conversation with someone if they just broke up with me. And likewise, I would not be able to have that sort of conversation with someone if I broke up with them and I was trying to steer clear of them and trying not to make like sort of a more deeper connection. Yeah. And like at the end of the, like when he did leave, she was like, you need to decide if you love me and then let me know. And then having a conversation like that after you said that and he still hasn't answered is very weird. (laughs) They're talking about wine. They're talking about, you know, like what she's been doing since he's been gone. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about the lab and if everything is okay there, the whole reason you went back. And they're just like talking like they are together. And I don't know. Anyway, and then as soon as he, as soon as she mentions, oh, when do you think you'll be coming back? He says, oh, I don't think I can. And his like to- his tone changes. He's like, I'm not sure when I'll be back. And then he's like, I have to go. And then he leaves <laughs> and he hangs up. So I don't know. It just seemed weird to have that like type of conversation with someone that you just had such an awkward interaction with. And again, maybe that's just me and the fact that I'm like a super awkward person. I don't know. I think I'd be the same. So yeah. I don't know. She she obviously has a like a lot of confidence in the relationship the to knowledge. feel so securely about the fact that he's coming back and going to love her when he's literally already said we're not breaking the covenant. 
So that's a little, that was a little bit of a downer, you know, having this conversation, like she has this conversation essentially with her, with her aunts saying, I love him. He loves me. We're going to be together no matter what the law says. And <laughs> essentially saying that if she has to give up her relationship with her aunts, that's what she's going to do to all of a sudden him being like, well, I don't know if I'm coming back anytime soon. And me, me, me. It's like, okay, dude. She's had a lot of highs and lows, it seems. Yes, definitely. Um, But her ever being the curious historian that she is, she goes up to go to bed uh, slash maybe do some some research. And she's in his library because he has one of those because he lives in a castle. And he has his, <laughs> he has his own like personal library in his little tower. Uh, and she ends up finding a secret compartment in his desk while looking for a pen um, that has these seals, like like those wax seals that you use to imprint into wax, like the letters. You know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. Those things that you press in a hot wax to close a letter from like yeah. the olden days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there are those. And it's for this, she reads on the seal, uh, it's for this group called the Knights of Lazarus. Anyway, so she does a little bit of sleuthing (laughs) uh, and discovers that they're sort of a, almost like a secret society, sort of like like the Masons. Almost like straight up out of the Da Vinci Code, but even more secret because no one has ever heard of them. From her, her sleuthing, she finds out that they're still active today. And they were also essentially created by the de Clermonts, which is Matthew's last name. His name is Matthew de Clermont. Uh, so essentially they created this secret society. Uh, and she also learned that one of the from one of the seals that Matthew is the leader of this secret society of knights. Yeah, it helps that she has a lot of knowledge of history in this part because she's like, I know what these seals mean. And I'd be like... What the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> like Google, basically. <laughs> also, she doesn't have a phone. Oh yeah, I don't like, understand that. She she's she doesn't have a cell phone this this whole this time. She doesn't have one. Yeah, so that seems wild. It does seem wild, doesn't it? The book is not that old. Like no. it is still of the time when everybody has a phone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she doesn't have one, so she can't Google it. So she has to rely on her historical. Uh, eidetic memory yeah uh so she knows all this she gathers all this information the knights of lazarus secret society created by matthew's family and matthew is the leader and in all fairness she gets sort of peeved that he mm-hmm. that he has kept this secret from her which i don't understand like you're with a vampire you know he's 1500 years old He's like, what do you expect like him to give you a historical readout of his entire life? Really though. And like especially a a secret society, even more secret than a regular person's secrets. Yeah. And it's just I don't know. How how is he after three weeks, why do you expect him to divulge all of his secrets? And, and when was he supposed to do it? Yes. They've <laughs> barely had minute together yeah really (laughs) so yeah i just when have they been together alone not around other people when they actually were comfortable enough with each other to tell these 
sort of life-altering secrets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so with all this information, she goes to bed. This part sort of bothered me a bit. Uh, she wakes up a few hours later, in the essentially in the middle of the night. Yizbo is like standing over her when she's in the bed uh, and passes her her phone. And she's like, hello? And it's Matthew. And he declares his love for her on the phone and said he's coming back to France to be with Diana, even though it's putting them in danger. Which I don't get. Like, he literally had this uh, this conversation with her a few hours ago that was not positive. It's not a positive relationship. They don't have... I don't know when I'll get home. Yeah, he's like mad about it. And he just says, oh, I love you. He's like, if you still will have me, then I'm coming back to be with you. If you'll still have me. Right. So, you know, it just... What happened? Why did he all of a sudden change his mind yeah. from nothing? Like nothing happened on our end. They no. had a, a unfortunate conversation and then nothing. But now all of a sudden he's changing his mind. It's weird. So they hung up. She refuses to go back to bed and she waits for him in the living room, knowing that he has to get a plane to France and then drive all the way to this like little town in the country. Like he's going to be ours, mm -hmm. but she literally waits for him in the living room and then stands out by the door and just waits, does nothing but wait. And they, what, they had to like force breakfast on her because she was so excited he was coming home. I, I like who she is almost right now anyway. I enjoy her character on her own. I don't like mm -hmm. how dependent she's become on him so quickly yeah so uh he finally gets home and it literally she makes the comment that he's normally the one to get to her because he's so fast with his vampire speed uh but she comments and says that that uh you know she was actually there he had literally just climbed out of the car and she was already there to like jump him so she yeah she locked her arms around his neck which was like don't you dare ever leave again. Don't ever do that again. Don't leave me again. So it's very like, I don't really like who she is when she's dependent. Yeah. Anyway, so then they make out in the driveway for a bit. Which, she peels up his ass. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yes, they make out for a little bit. And Yizbo essentially implies to them that they're criminals now. And essentially that they're making her a criminal by making out in her area uh and matthew sort of i don't know if it's kind of a guilt uh like a guilt thing and says like should we leave mama like should we go away and she's sort of like how very dare you ask that question like how very dare you assume that i'm gonna kick you out of my house like you're my son you're my child and she actually calls him her most beloved son so he's the favorite obviously um and then it's something that actually is really nice so they uh matthew essentially says you are mine now which ew like to yeah. diana you are mine now gross not which, okay not okay <laughs> no like red flag another yep. one <laughs> And then Yizbo says, oh, well, now you're my daughter, too. So Diana is my daughter because you guys have agreed to risk your lives to be together. So that makes you my daughter because he's my son. 
So she does like a full 180. Not that she was super mean to Diana before. Like she's a bit standoffish, but she wasn't actively like a bitch to her. No, she let her live there for a while. Like she let her stay. Yeah, and took care of her when she nearly drowned from the witch water. But now she's like, you're my daughter now. You're mine. Mm -hmm. And essentially, what I actually really like, essentially says, like, Diana, it's time for you to stop being a wuss. You have all this magic. It's time for you to learn how to use it. And, Mm -hmm. like, start acting like a witch, not a human. You know, Diana sort of agrees. Matthew sort of is like, how dare you speak to her that way? Like, I'll take care of her. But Diana's like, no, 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 like, she's right. I do need to start learning to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So they chat a little bit about what happened in Oxford. Really not very much. Matthew says somebody obviously broke into her apartment looking for stuff. Diana sort of thought they were looking for the manuscript. But Matthew sort of says, well, no, they already know you don't have it. So that's obviously not what they were looking for. Uh, so then they come to the conclusion that they were looking for DNA. So like hair, nail clippings, anything like that. Uh, and then we get sort of a better hint into her Diana's upbringing. Apparently her mother taught her since she was a small child that you always, after every brush of the hair, you cleaned out your hairbrush and put the hair down the toilet and flushed. Anytime you clipped your nails, you flushed the clippings like you never left any trace of dna every morning like mm-hmm. which is so smart because they say that like the dna is used in spells you know amongst against each other like the witches use the dna to i guess help them track yeah or- help them like get a witch to do what they want mm-hmm. but it's just like it's so smart i you know i just really enjoyed that and obviously, her, we said before, her mother's sort of had a talent at seeing the future. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe she might have seen some of this coming and so taught her from a very young age to do all this. But it's just nice that she kept that routine. They go to sleep and they sleep in the same bed, even though Diana was like, aren't you like, are you even going to sleep? He says, well, even if I don't sleep, I'll, uh, what does he say? Like, I'll watch you sleep even if I don't sleep, which is like a little bit creepy. I know. Uh, <laughs> but they they do go to bed together and they don't do anything. They don't they don't consummate anything. Or I guess I don't know about consummate, but like he's been sort of stingy with the physical aspect of their relationship almost this entire book. You know, most they do is make out from that previous little thing in the driveway. That's sort of the farthest they've gone. So now they're in a bed all to themselves. And he's like, well, no, let's not. <laughs> so so they don't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so they they don't. They wake up the next morning. They make out a little bit. Uh, Diana sort of, I don't know if propositions herself is the word. She sort of is like, hey, why don't we? And he says no. And he's like, oh, you know, we have all the time in the world for that. I want to take our relationship like nice and slow. <laughs> <laughs> like slow. I don't know. They've it's literally... been two weeks and you said you loved her. That's not slow. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says no and says, you know, we've got time and 
I want to wait. So she says, oh, I guess you and your you vampires, you're so, <laughs> you know, you have no concept of time. However, you know, puts an end to it and they decide they're going to go riding. So he goes to get ready. And Diana then asks Matthew to take her hunting. She wants to see him hunt. He gets pissed. Just a little bit. He's heck mad. He refuses to take her. He says, no, how, like, how could you even ask that of me? It's not safe, blah, blah, blah. She essentially mentions, you know, his child, Lucas, that he had, and Blanca, his the wife that he had when he was human. Uh, and sort of like implies that Isbo told her his making story. And he's really pissed. Mm-hmm. And essentially says that the stories were not Isbo's to tell. And like, fair point. They weren't. Com- completely agree. And it just sort of bothers me because I think she had that reaction as well when Matthew sort of, Matthew told Diana a few things about Yuzbo. Mm-hmm. Um and Yuzbo was like, Well, that wasn't his thing to tell. Like, that's about me. That's not yeah. Matthew's story. But then she turns around and does the exact same thing. Yeah. I'm like, was it revenge? Was she doing it because he had done it? Or was she like, you know, we sort of know that she was telling the creation or his like making story to sort of show diana that she's not the first one that he's loved and she won't be the last sort of thing but it's true they were not they were not her stories yeah do you think he would ever have told diana i can't think of any time in this first book that i think he ever would have opened up about it himself no definitely not i kind of don't feel like he would have ever told her you know considering he's kept so many secrets otherwise I can't, mm-hmm. imag- I can't imagine yeah. him telling her something like that. So, I mean, I'm sort of glad that Izabo told her because now she knows about those things. You know, I don't think it's really fair. He also got really, really mad <laughs> that <laughs> Izabo already took her hunting. She says, oh, you know, Izabo already took me. So, like, I know what it's going to be like and I know what it looks like. And, you know, I I love you and I know what. You're like, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. And he was like, Yuzbo took you hunting? Like, he's really, really mad. Yeah. And, you know, he sort of lets his anger out at Yuzbo, but then sort of decides after, yeah, we're just going to go hunting. Like, I just feel like her, both of them are very... um, (laughs) Flip-floppy. Yeah, like, agreeable with each other. Like, they're like... No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'll do it. Like, yeah. She did the same thing when... About leaving. Uh, yeah, like when he yeah. was like, we have to leave. She was like, no. And then, well, okay. <laughs> so I just... And now he's doing it too with the hunting. He's like, no, I'm not taking you hunting. It's way too dangerous and blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, I've already been. He's like, well, fine. I'll take you hunting. Um, he ends up giving her like a bajillion warnings. Like, don't you dare get off your horse. Don't you dare approach me. Stay away and blah, blah, blah. Like. He gives her a whip. Yes. Gives her a whip <laughs> to like hit him. And she's like, I'm not going to hit you. He's like, just do it. Just take it. These are the, these are sort of the, the rules if you want to go. 
which is fine. Uh, so they go. He hunts a big stag, like not a deer, a full-on stag with the antlers and everything like that. And everything works out fine. There's nothing yep. to worry about. She did notice, she said there was a difference in the way Matthew hunted versus Yizabo. And we sort of saw it a little bit when he went hunting previously with Hamish and didn't actually like eat anything. He just like hunted because he needed the hunt. So we sort of hear the same thing. So Yizabo hunts for food, right? She goes out, she hunts for nourishment. She's done. She's full. She's sated. She's living her life. Mm-hmm. Matthew actually enjoys the act of hunting, like the stalking. The stalking, yeah. Yeah. So she sort of sees the difference there in them and realizes why she thinks maybe he's more dangerous, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like why he would worry more about her going hunting with him versus hunting with Yuzbo. Anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and then too, he, he's mentions that like, he's got her scent. He craves her a little bit. It makes sense why, um, why he would not want her around, but it all goes fine. I don't really get why he made such a huge deal out of it. He controlled himself pretty well. Admirably. Admirably. Yes. And they go back. (laughs) Um, and yeah, when he gets, when they get back. He's still really pissed at Yuzabo for putting <laughs> Diana in danger. But, like, frig. She can put herself in danger. Like, stop being such a friggin' overprotective mom. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so then we get into the next chapter. And in the beginning of the chapter, um, Yuzabo has gone to check to see if Domenico and Gerbert are sneaking around. And Gerbert is a... Uh, Vampire that I don't think we had heard of before this, but obviously immediately Diana connects him to somebody that she's heard about in her research of history. Isabeau's gone out to do this kind of because she's trying to make up for being a bit of a bitch um, to Diana and because Matthew is so mad at her. So she's trying to make everything as safe as possible. Well, she wants to like get out of his way when... <laughs> He's mad. She's like, well, I'm not going to be around. You're mad. Yeah. Yeah. So then Matthew and Diana are talking and he drops the W word without mm-hmm. any care. He's basically like, now that you're my wife and she's like, wait up, hold up. What? <laughs> Record scratch here? Like, what do you mean now that I'm your wife? And Matthew has to know how crazy this is. He's been around for so long. This wouldn't have worked in the old days. It doesn't work now. It works with animals, apparently. Maybe it works with vampires most of the time, but, like, it's wild. And he just drops it. He's just like, you're my wife. No big deal. This is how it all is. He's like, as an afterthought, he's like, is that okay? And she's like, huh, yeah, I guess so. Like, didn't really have many thoughts of a big wedding or anything, but... (laughs) I know. Like, I guess what, that's fine. <laughs> like, what if she did? What if she did want a nice big white wedding? And he was like, well, we're already married. So wait a minute. Yeah. Or like, what if like, she did change her mind? Like, 
What can you divorce (laughs) when you don't have a legal contract? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it was was a a lot. lot. A lot. Yeah, so they they go upstairs then and she gets a bath before bed and then he comes in and they finally see each other naked for the first time, which is a lot of pages into the book before it happens for like how far their relationship has progressed. Now they're husband and wife and they only just saw each other naked, which seems kind of crazy. Maybe old fashioned, I guess. So very up his alley. (laughs) But... (laughs) They apparently fit perfectly. And when she sees him naked, she's shocked by how perfect every part of him is. <laughs> you know she means his dick. His dick is perfect. So <laughs> um, she starts to get a little bit nervous about her imperfections, like you would around a vampire. But, like, here's the thing. Was that perfect? Was that aspect of him perfect before he was made a vampire? Or is that just an aspect of vampirism? <laughs> I don't know. That's that's one of the things that doesn't really make sense about vampirism. When you like think about it, you're like, how does a vampire get a boner? Because yeah, they have no this, blood. How does the science work? They don't have any blood in their bodies to circulate. Like, I know, yeah, they have some, I guess, after they feed. But like, can they only get a boner if they fed semi recently? Yeah. We don't really get that answer in this book. That's yeah. yeah. But also I will say that like I find it the way they see each other naked for the first time is really bizarre. Like just imagine how on not necessarily uncomfortable, but how like sort of unsure and insecure you are when you sort of first get naked with somebody. Mm-hmm. Now add in the fact that he sees her naked the first time because she's standing up to get out of the bathtub. Which yeah. is not sexy. It's like, <laughs> need to like well, amble out of this bathtub here. He's like holding, <laughs> he's like holding the towel for her to get out. Like to me, that's not a sexy way of seeing somebody naked for the first time. No, especially since when you're in the tub, you're like already super. <laughs> you're you're wet, and then you're cold, and you're insecure because you're like folded up in a way your body shouldn't be folded. <laughs> It's not the great first impression that you'd want to make. No. <laughs> anyway. But he loves it. So he's like, don't be insecure. Everything is great. Um, he seems really shocked that she expects that they're going to have sex, which I thought was weird because they're married now. So you'd think that they'd be all about it. I I don't know why they wouldn't have sex, but he wants a long courtship, which she's your wife. What does that even mean? You can't court your wife. (laughs) But also, like, in all fairness, he does give her those signs to say, like, he makes her think they're going to have sex. He's like, he's like touching all over her her body and like grabbing at her and like making out. Mm -hmm. Like, what else is she going to think? You're both naked. It's a natural progression, I would think. Yeah. And he's like genuinely shocked she wants to have sex right now, which is shocking to me. <laughs> but they do end up getting each other off <laughs> him with his hands and her with her mouth. Oh, and oh, of course. 
the misogyny, the misogyny. Um, the good thing about it is I didn't find the writing was too cringy. Like it obviously doesn't get into the sex scene as much as some books do, but it wasn't super cringy. I didn't find to read, which was good. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed like it was, um, sort of, it wasn't explicit. Yeah. But other than the part where Diana felt like a virgin, because she's only ever had sex before as filling a need and never with somebody that she loved, I guess. Bullshit. Which is kind of, which that was annoying. And then her knowing exactly what he wanted in his blowjob and like blowing his mind. Sir, if you are <laughs> 1,500 years old and this is the best blowjob you've ever had, you're not doing well with your time like why would you why would you even live that long what's the point i don't understand the only thing i could think of is like maybe women like because you know that especially like starting in the you know the 13 1400s especially women start to get sort of like prudish and pent up and Mm. like treated like an object an object so like i don't know maybe they weren't very good at oral sex because because they weren't yeah and i guess he wasn't also offering any women of that time marriage no so they wouldn't he wouldn't have had relationships with somebody that he cared about so maybe it all is a feeling thing but i'm sorry (laughs) not to get like tmi but it's not always about the emotions (laughs) Sometimes it's the lack of. (laughs) Sometimes they just need to be really good at what they're doing. 100%. I think it's bullshit that she only ever had sex as feeling a need. Like, there's no way the first time she ever had sex, she just picked some Joe Blow off the street and said, I'm feeling horny. Think you can help me out? Yeah. I don't think it happened. She's only in her mid-20s, and she's talking about sex this clinically. Like, Mm -hmm. it means, in my mind, she must have a lot of experience having sex not that that's really, not there's anything wrong with that like sew your oats fill your boots but i can't imagine that she hasn't had one connection with anybody yeah. i just can't no me neither it it seems too far-fetched and the fact that she actually used the word virgin in her head made me want to vomit hmm. but yeah, I just was like, that seems a bit much. Anyway, so they fall asleep in each other's arms. And then Diana wakes up the next day and Matthew is actually sleeping. And she says, I'll be back before you know it. And that's when you know some bad shit's going to happen because you can't say that. So she walks outside and is immediately taken by a witch. And they fly away, basically. And the witch drops Diana to see if she'll start flying, which seems like quite a bad impression to make on somebody (laughs) before you've even talked to them. Just drop them from the sky and be like, why are you flying? At the same time, I also feel like maybe taking someone against their will Mm. is sort of another aspect of that. (laughs) That's a good point. Yes. So eventually they land and Domenico and Gerbert are there. 
Uh, it's the first time we actually see Gerbert. And Diana feels like he has a core of evil, which is an interesting way to describe somebody. Yes. I don't know how she's the expert on people's cores and if they are evil or not. But we find out the witch's name who took Diana is Satu. And she got this place that she's going to to talk to Diana from Gerbert. They have a sort of uneasy alliance between at least one witch and at least two vampires. So I hope um, they're not breaking the covenant. <laughs> right? Um, Satu then tells Diana that it isn't her fault that she is in Matthew's thrall and tries to make her feel like she's basically a lot nicer to Diana than uh, Peter and Jillian ever were, which is, like we said last episode, I think, definitely the better way to go about things. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) I also find that, like, She's sort of, so yeah, like she starts off being nice to Diana and we'll see that mm-hmm. she doesn't, obviously she doesn't continue along with that. Yeah. She, it seems like she like genuinely doesn't understand why Diana would choose to be with a vampire over her own kind. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, not that it forgives anything she does, but like, I don't know, it's sort of, we sort of kind of get it maybe. Yeah, which, like, she even says it herself at one point. She's like, you'll forgive me in the end. You'll understand why I'm doing this. Mm Because she really does think that Matthew has some sort of control over Diane. Like, she isn't trying to be malicious. I think she really thinks that she's trying to help her. Yes. Which just kind of makes you feel like she's crazy a little bit. Like it makes her seem even a bit more crazy as the day <laughs> goes on in this in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Satu brings up Matthew climbing through uh, Diana's window on Maybon. She also explains the giving blood part, and we realize here that Matthew gave her his blood twice, um, which really does make the exhaustion make a lot more sense because Satu says that um, the vampire blood will over make you exhausted over time and stuff. So like her exhaustion after Maybon and her exhaustion after the plane ride to France make a whole lot more sense now in retrospect because it was after she had his blood those two times. So it's good. Definitely ties <laughs> ties that up better than we thought it did because it was a yeah. bit <laughs> a bit much for a bit. And I do find this book is sort of like that. Like it gives you a detail, it doesn't explain it, and then it 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 brings it back later on, mm-hmm. and then it like sort of explains it a bit. Yeah, and like I've definitely I've read this book before, but I didn't remember that he gave. I didn't remember that the blood made her tired. Yeah. And I'm sure when I got to this part, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I did the exact same thing this time. I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Satu then tells her that Jillian is dead, which seems kind of crazy that Matthew just killed her and made it look like a suicide and left her against Peter Knox's hotel room door, uh, which is a warning for sure. Yeah, it just seems very like 
zero to a hundred. Like we are assuming that Matthew killed Jillian the night that um, Diana got the photo of mm-hmm. her parents. You know, of her parents. Uh, so we used to, he asked Marcus to like stay here and watch Diana for a bit. I'm going out. So he goes out. So we're assuming that that's when he killed Jillian. And that's sort of, I think, tracks with the show. Mm -hmm. That's when he killed her. Um, But it just, he obviously could smell Peter Knox on the envelope as well as Jillian. It just seems weird to me that he would kill Jillian knowing that she was definitely the pawn. Yeah. Why would you kill the pawn? I know he can't kill Peter Knox, and he knows he can't kill Peter Knox because he's on the congregation. But, like, Mm -hmm. why would you then settle for the person that literally is just doing what they're told? It also just seems kind of crazy that he just kills her, and then that's just, like, there's very little about it. So Satu quickly turns psychotic and starts attacking Diana. Um, she says that she's going to open Diana up and she really seems to mean it. Um, during part of the torture, Diana sees her mother, uh, which it seems like it's probably the ghost of her mother. And, uh, she remembers her mom telling her that she has to, to keep her secrets and don't tell anybody her secrets. So yeah, Satu is like torturing her heart like she's like carving up her back she's like tossing her in the air and like throwing her against rocks like she is going for it yeah diana's kind of disassociating so that she doesn't have to feel it anymore because even she doesn't really understand what her secrets are that she is meant to be keeping here so she's like just probably in shock at this point yeah this is the part where Satu says that Diana will eventually forgive her and it's very greater good of her. It's very like, I'm doing this for you because you need help to get out of this situation. And it just seems a bit crazy. But Satu then brings Diana down to the bottom of an oubliette, which is a very interesting (laughs) way of torture. It's like essentially an oubliette is like a very, very, very... It's like a very long, narrow, vertical tunnel, right? With like a little, I guess, like a prison square at the bottom. Yeah. I kind of thought of it like a well. Yeah. Just with no water. But it's very narrow, like to get that little, the well part, I guess, like the tunnel part is very Mm -hmm. narrow. So he just just like floats her down there. Yeah, and because at the before she does, she's like most of the humans get pushed down there, and then if they live, they die down here because they go we just crazy. leave them. Yeah, so Satu says that um, Diana won't be able to ignore the three witches that are on the congregation. So it seems like that's where she's going now. Is she's going to go get Peter Knox and then the third witch, who we don't know who that is yet. No. So it seems like she's going to come back with those two. And interrogate her some more, I guess, would mm-hmm. be their next move. Her mother or her mother's ghost then asks her to try to sleep and tells her a uh, a good night story, basically. Yeah. This is actually quite unclear as to what this actually is. So 
it's uh, interesting. So her mother appears to her. Is it as a ghost, like an actual present day ghost that is sort of interacting with her in the present? Or is it her having hallucinations um, due to her like extreme stress uh, of the past, like just having hallucinations of her mother in the past? Yeah. And I guess it seems, I don't think we ever really figure that part out. I think it's kind of just, I don't, I don't know if Diane ever really figures that part out because there are ghosts around and she does see ghosts. So it could really be either. Yeah. Another, another power she randomly has on top of, you know, the witch water, the witch wind and all the other random powers. She also sees ghosts. Yeah. So her mother tells her, her childhood story in her remembering or whatever this is Um, in the story, Diana gets covered in ribbons and the ribbons stop her from doing magic. Her mother says it's because other witches would be jealous of her. Eventually story Diana forgets about the the ribbons and about her magic. And then long after all of that, Diana meets a handsome prince who lives between the shadows of the sunset and moonrise And after she meets him, some witches come and take Diana away to try to get rid of the ribbons. Uh, Diana asks her mother for a secret, and her mother says that Diana is her biggest secret. Yeah, so we're sort of of getting right now, like, the reason why she's so unsteady in her magic, I guess, is we're learning about these ribbons that were Mm -hmm. placed on her about her magic, and it sort of... It's like a, I find it's like a twofold thing. Like they're telling the story like it's a fairy tale, but they very clearly make allusions to, no, this is sort of fact. But her mother used to tell her this as a story as a child. So we get back to Matthew now and he is not happy. Isabel and Matthew have been combing the area methodically and they cannot pick up a trail. They're like, Diana just disappeared out of thin air, which is essentially what happened. Well, I guess um, they can't fly. So they're <laughs> exactly. like sniffing around trying to find her. But like, they, obviously they can't find, follow her scent because her scent is in the air. Shoots up into the air, <laughs> I would guess. Um, so Matthew knows it had to be a witch that took her, which is smart. So Isabeau says that Baldwin is on his way and he is Matthew's older brother. He's a better tracker than Matthew. And he's also the head of the family. And of course, he and Matthew do not get along at all. So he's a bit of a dick, actually. Yes. Yes, he is. He he shows up and he's really angry at Matthew um, because he's in love with a witch. And their father was killed by witches. So that's a very big sore spot with Baldwin as well, which like I can kind of empathize with that, but it's not really the, like she didn't do it, which Matthew kind of tries to say. And also it it needs to be stated that, so the same way that Yizbo is Matthew's sort of maker, Philippe is Baldwin's maker. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of only Yizbo's is his stepmom, I guess. Yeah. So I would Step say creator. His yeah, his loyalty is probably even more fiercely with Philippe than mm-hmm. you know than Matthews yeah. and anyone else's. 
Um, Baldwin also says that if the witches don't kill Diana, he'll kill her himself, which is probably not the best thing to say to Matthew right now. No. Uh, when he's losing his mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So as the head of the family, Baldwin tries to forbid Matthew from going after Diana. And Matthew doesn't take too well to this. Baldwin even tries to say that he's basically going to be removed from the family if he tries to go after her. So Matthew, as the head of the Knights of Lazarus, plays that card and basically forces Baldwin to go after Diana which is just so convoluted. It doesn't seem like you should be able to. It's hilarious is what it is. <laughs> so Baldwin's head of the family and it's like, well, we'll, dis- we'll not let you in this family anymore. And then Matthew comes back and is like, well, I'm the Knights of Lazarus. You're one of my knights. Technically, I can force you to do whatever I want. I'm telling you, we're going after her. So you have to do this. And then he even takes threatens to take their house away and says, this <laughs> castle actually belongs to the Knights of Lazarus. So, and, you know, Yisbo lives here uh, with our blessing, but, like, I can kick you out of this house. <laughs> Which, it's just hilarious. It's, yeah, it's a wild ride for sure. <laughs> so, eventually Baldwin's like, yeah, you got me. And he agrees <laughs> to help. So he goes outside and... And he's quite helpful, too. Like He is super helpful. <laughs> not just like, fine, I'll help, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Like, no, he actually is, is very helpful. Yeah. Like, not only does he go outside and notice that the grass has moved a certain way to show which way they, like, took off into the sky, which is a bit insane. <laughs> but, like, he really helps Matthew to calm down and use his brain which obviously he's very not good in moments like this. Mm-hmm. So he definitely does need someone like this in his life. Even though um, they hate each other. Yeah, it's it's a bit funny. Um, so they went south. So we they then say that Gerbert's home is to the south. So there's no way the witches would cross into his land because there's no way the witches would have an alliance with him, of course. And then Baldwin asks why the witch can't defend herself. The witch and, being Diana. Yeah, he he will not say her name. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what the, all the creatures do. They're all like that. But Isabeau and Mart both matter-of-factly just say that Diana is spellbound. And we're here as the audience like, what the heck does that even mean? Like, <laughs> And like, if they knew, why didn't they say anything before she was kidnapped? And especially why was Isabeau so hard on her when she knows it's not her fault that she can't do anything about it? That's, but anyway, so Matthew calls Sarah an M because he's like, this isn't, this is something that somebody would know about. You don't just spellbind a witch. And if Diana doesn't know, then somebody would have to know. So he talks to Sarah and M and Sarah is shocked that he's even asking. And then M picks up the phone and is like, yep. (laughs) Yep. 100% spellbound. (laughs) She was spellbound by her mother who died when Diana was seven. So she was spellbound like as a small child, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's serious magic to do on a, on a small child. Exactly. Yeah. So then they kind of hang up and they're like, we need to find her. We know that she's to the South and she's probably not to Gerber's land. So, Baldwin 
helps Matthew think. And he's like, you've designed most of the castles in between here and there. You have to know what's in between. So why don't you just think about where the best place should be instead of just rushing out and looking everywhere and hoping for the best. Good point, Baldwin. Right? He's very smart, this man. Yeah. So uh, Matthew thinks through all of the places and he's finally like, Yep, she's definitely at um, La Pierre. La Pierre, yeah. And um, Matthew and Baldwin then get into a freaking helicopter because like of, a normal person. I mean, they have a <laughs> private jet. They obviously also have a helicopter. You have you to know. have the full set. <laughs> the full set. <laughs> um, we get back to Diana's point of view and. Um, her mother kind of wakes her up and yeah she's like her in and father out. she's like in and out of consciousness because she's like mm-hmm. been tortured so extensively and is stuck in the bottom like i think i'd have a bit of claustrophobia down there 100 percent. i don't think i'd do well <laughs> <I'll be laughs> especially like, if you're seeing ghosts you'd be like oh my god i've gone crazy <laughs> It's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you're down there. Not only is it a small space for like your body, but then it's cramped with all these ghosts. And they're ghosts. <laughs> Be like, oh my God, don't touch me. And like, not only yeah. are they just ghosts, some of them are crazy ghosts because they died down there going crazy. So some yeah. of them are literally crazy. But yeah, so Diana's mom wakes her up. And kind of resumes the story. This is lovely fairy tale. Yes, the it's really not a lovely fairy tale. (laughs) (laughs) But I get it. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in the story, much like in her real life, she's stuck in well, in the story, she's stuck in a room and has no idea how to get out. And she hears a knock, and the prince tries to get her out, but he can't. And Diana sees a tiny hole in the roof and asks the prince to fly her out, but the prince can't fly. They do mention a few times that the prince isn't a wizard, which I think kind of is a good thing because it makes Diana more confident in her choice of Matthew when she kind of thinks back to this because she knows that her mom knew that her prince was a vampire. So... Um, In the story, Diana unravels a silver thread and throws it into the sky and follows it out. At this point, Matthew shows up and he he kind of yells down to her and he asks her to fly up to him. Because again, we've discussed, so he's made all of these fortresses, so he knows about the oubliette. So like Mm -hmm. when they get there, he's like, where would I... Like, they don't immediately see her around. So, like, where would she be? The oubliette. Like, conveniently, he knows exactly where she would be hiding. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he, come, he comes over and he basically yells down. And he, he's about to jump down. And Baldwin's <laughs> like, then what? What are we going to do when you're down there, too? We can't get her out. Are you just going to live down there? It doesn't really make any sense. It didn't it say that like he would barely fit because of his broad shoulders? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he would have to like sh- he would have to like shimmy down like Santa Claus. Oh my god! <laughs> He'd get stuck halfway, and then <laughs> then what? <laughs> yeah. So 
he he gets to the top and then he's like, Diana, you have to you have to fly out. And she starts remembering all the stuff that Satu said. And she gets a little bit weary of Matthew at one point. Diana's mother says, you can't hide from Matthew. He'll find you no matter what. Which is a bit of a creepy line, but I guess reassuring to her. So Diana then copies the story and throws her imaginary ribbon through the hole. And she flies up to Matthew, who then catches her. It sort of is very odd because you would think that this um, this huge event of her getting kidnapped and tortured, you would think that this is sort of like the sort of climax of the story. Mm-hmm. But it's really not. It's like not even a full three quarters of the way in. And it's solved in like two to three chapters. It's in the, in this, you know, sort of the way the story goes, it's a blip. <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? Like in the grand scheme. So it's yeah. just, just funny how easily the problem was solved. She was gone for like a day. Mm-hmm. Not even. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like, I think they said like 10 hours or something, which yeah. while you're being tortured is a long ass time. Yes. But. 100%. <laughs> not that Isn't... I have, I don't have experience, but I, <laughs> I would assume. Yes. Um, so yeah, he takes her back and then they're, they're running towards the helicopter again. And Matthew has her in his arms and then they get in the helicopter and she is panicking again. And Baldwin's like, you have to knock her out. And she doesn't want to have any of Matthew's blood because she doesn't want to feel out of control. Like if you think back to earlier in the book, she doesn't even like drugs. So having a substance that she really doesn't understand in her body, it makes sense that she's really reluctant for this. Yeah. But he does kind of convince her. Convince her and then give her some blood and she does pass out basically. Yeah. Um so they get back to the house and she does wake up again and Isabeau calls Sarah and M and tells them that she's okay now and they have to look at all of Diana's injuries. So he wants to see her back which is a big issue because the pullover is super stuck to her back because of all the blood. So she, he needs to put her in the tub, but then he's also afraid of Baldwin smelling the blood in the tub and an incident like Jerusalem happening again. And Diana's like, what happened then? And he explains to her that that's the situation that he was telling um, Hamish about earlier in the book where a woman he loved got between him and Baldwin and he ended up killing her. Yeah. So Diana is happy that he's confiding in her, but she's also like, I don't think I'm ready to listen to this right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a lot for her. I was just kidnapped and tortured. I don't want to hear about you killing people anymore. <laughs> that you love. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a good thing Matthew is a doctor for this part because her foot is sprained. And has blister burns on it from being cuffed. Her face has a scrape, but it's not deep enough to need stitches. And her arm has a super deep cut. And then he's still trying to look at her back. So he he starts to cut her sweater off, I guess, from behind. And she starts to panic because when she talks about it now, it seems like she was literally just lying on her stomach for hours with Satu behind her, just like carving into her trying to open her up which is a lot definitely for her to deal with 
Matthew gets the sweater off. He comforts her and then he cuts it up the front. And he says that the witch is dead. And he's talking about Satu, which reminds Diana of Jillian. She confronts him. So he, so she's not actually dead. Like, he didn't already yes, yes, kill yes, her. Yes. He's saying, she's dead. Like, I am going to murder her. Yeah. And that reminds Diana of Jillian, who actually is dead. <laughs> and she confronts him. And he basically just says that she had to die. And they don't really talk a whole lot about it. It comes up again a bit later on, but... There's no real conversation that we see in the book about it at all. And it just seems a bit batshit that he literally killed somebody. Who sent her a picture. (laughs) Yeah, it just, I don't know if I'd be okay with that. (laughs) I don't think I would. (laughs) All these people that want relationships with vampires, this is the reality. (laughs) Right? I don't think I'd be cool with it. Like, when I was a teenager, I totally thought, yes, this is what I want. But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, possessiveness, no thanks. (laughs) Too many red flags. Yes. (laughs) Um, So this was after Matthew saw her back. So now she obviously wants to see what the hell is going on with her back. So Isabeau and Mart, like, carry up two giant mirrors. And then she looks at her back for a second and then she passes out. And it's like, those poor guys did all this work. (laughs) So you could see your back. You literally just pass out. (laughs) They are vampires and have super strength. So I can't imagine it was was that strenuous for them. (laughs) Probably not. So she, when she wakes up, Matthew literally leaves guard dogs in front of her, which is more than likely to protect her from Baldwin. But Isabeau is not overly happy that the dogs are in the house. (laughs) What a sin, the poor dogs. <laughs> so these dogs live in the barn. They've never been mentioned, but all of a sudden, like, they <laughs> exist. And they're, like, super loyal to Matthew, and he has them trained perfectly. Like, of has course. he really been home enough in the last <laughs> however long a dog's life? Like, they're, they have not a huge long lifespan. You wouldn't think that he'd have them trained so well. Yes, you're correct. But yeah. Uh, Diana ended up confiding in Matthew about what happened and um, what happened when Satu had her. And Matthew tells her what their plan is going forward and that they're going to go to her home. They're going to go to Sarah and Em's since they can help her with her magic and they can better protect her from witches. Um, Diana, Matthew, and Baldwin leave Satur together. and uh, then On the helicopter. On their helicopter, and then they get to the airport to get on their private jets. Ugh. And then when they're going to the airport, or when they're at the airport, they're like, this is a medical case. And apparently Diana looks so sickly that they're like, right away, get in here. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which like they is don't unfortunate. <laughs> they don't, like, let her rest at all. They mm-hmm. They literally, like, give her, like, maybe the evening, and then they're gone the next morning. So you would think they would just, like, let her have a couple of days to to rest after being tortured. but Maybe no. recover a tiny bit. <laughs> but, they, but they don't. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, on the plane, well, on the private jet, <laughs> Marcus ends up calling Matthew, and Matthew cuts him off immediately, and we don't hear what's happening because Matthew doesn't want Baldwin to hear. So then he 
ends up texting Marcus and we don't really get into what that conversation is. They when they land, Baldwin tries to give Diana some advice and tells her she needs to make a move sooner than later. Yeah, like don't wait for them to attack you. Like Yeah. Be they go into be assertive. So um Diana and Matthew then go to her aunt's house. And Sarah and M have left the house so that the house can get used to them. And I'm in love with this house. This house seems pretty cool. I like, know. I love it. Yeah. So the house isn't sure about new arrivals. So Sarah and M left just so that the house could get used to Matthew So it, before they came back. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like alive is like a really good way to put it. It, it like it can sense when people are around. It like takes things and stores them only to like give it to you when you need it. It can like make more rooms if you need more space. It can do all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. So at this part, Diana talks about the ghosts that she can see. And I was kind of wondering, could she see the ghosts in her house before? Or is this something new that just happened since she went away and came back like since she's using more magic now it's kind of hard to tell i feel like it's something she could always see because the way she talks about them so matter-of-factly and like she knows sort of like she knows her grandmother which one her grandmother is and like Mm -hmm. she sort of the way she describes them i feel like she spent time with them before i just i can't i feel like she'd be more freaked out if she hadn't seen them before and now was all of a sudden seeing them in the house. Um, so Diana and Matthew go up to her parents' room where they're going to stay, her and Matthew. And she kind of shows Matthew the connection that they have, which is like a string, an anchor inside of her, which she kind of lets him feel. And he can kind of hear it like a humming inside of her, kind of like he hears her blood hum sometimes, which is interesting and definitely does explain the connection that they have at this point because they've only really been together for three four maybe now weeks so i guess it kind of explains that their connection is bigger than just love at first sight (laughs) yeah fine (laughs) i'll accept it (laughs) but reluctantly so once the house tour is complete Sarah and M come inside and the introductions are made between them and Matthew. And it is a bit awkward at first. Sarah is like, this is the vampire, is it? And it's like, stop using their creature names. Use their actual names. It's a bit rude, to be honest. Yeah. But Tabitha, I feel like at the same time, it's like it's really hard to unlearn certain prejudices. Mm -hmm. And I actually think they do a pretty good job considering they've hated vampires up to this point and now they're openly accepting one into their home. Tabitha the cat loves Matthew. Who doesn't which like, makes it doesn't like anyone. It's a cat that hates everybody. Mm-hmm. But loves Matthew. Yeah. And Sarah loves the cat. So it makes Sarah <laughs> kind of have to check herself and she's like, how can I hate Matthew? <laughs> yeah. If this cat <laughs> loves him. So Sarah has a look at Diana's injuries and she uses some magic and she mends her cheek fracture, which uh, they didn't really realize that her cheek was fractured. And she mends a collarbone fracture. 
her ankle sprain and the burns and the cut on her arm. So she uses magic to kind of mend all of that. And then Diana is really reluctant to show them her back because it's something that she doesn't like having people at her back now because of it. And it was obviously a really traumatic experience, but Matthew kind of convinces her to. And once Sarah and M see it, they realize that it's an opening spell that was put on her back, which you're not supposed to do magic on people's bodies. It's not really <laughs> like something you do on a tin can. Yeah. Like you can't just, you can't open a body. That's not a thing. So <laughs> Sarah kind of magically fixes her back as well, most of it. And she says that there's going to be a scar of a star between her shoulder blades and then below it, a crescent moon. And it's the perfect image of Matthew's Knights of Lazarus seal. So... Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. So Diana's like, oh shit. <laughs> this is this is because they know about the Knights of Lazarus. And Matthew's like, how do you know about the Knights of Lazarus? Like, this is wild. And then Sarah and Em are kind of like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's going on? And then Diana's afraid that she's going to hurt Matthew in some way. So she starts to, I don't even really know what she thinks she's doing, but she almost calls some witch fire and almost shoots it at her aunt. And Em is just like, please don't do that in the house. If you would like to shoot some witch fire, please go outside. But she was just going to basically murder her aunt in her own house. Yeah. If if no one said anything to her. So, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like it was more like a um, intrinsic thing, like she didn't know what she was doing. She wasn't in control of herself. Someone mm -hmm. was just like someone was just starting like to get mad at Matthew and she was like, "Nope." And it would just happens. Like, I don't think she was in control at all. It was mm -hmm. just, Matthew's in danger. I'm going to shoot. Yeah. But you think that she'd be, like, more upset about it afterwards than she is? Because she really doesn't – she doesn't even apologize to her aunt about it. She's just like, yeah, that happened, I guess. So Diana's clearly exhausted at this point, And Matthew brings her upstairs so that she can – sleep and try to get over all of the trauma that she went through recently. Mm -hmm. And when she wakes up, Matthew, Sarah, and Em are talking outside of her door. And Matthew is, is really pissed off that they didn't do more to help protect Diana. And he mentions that she's spellbound. And Diana had no idea up until this point that she was spellbound. And she's a bit shocked. And she thinks that her mother must have done it because she was a monster. And she doesn't really understand why else her mother would have spellbound her. And basically, they, they realize she's awake. She comes out to the door. And she kind of scares her aunts at that point because she's so angry. And 
Emma M says too that her parents went to Africa to protect her. And I don't know if we ever really get into why. Why they went to Africa. I, I just wonder if maybe they're trying to just lead the witches mm. away from Diana. Maybe. So they just go really far away and go to Africa. <laughs> yeah. But they do say that like her parents knew that they weren't gonna come back. So it's like just seems you could go anywhere else. I don't know. It seems like a lot. <laughs> so Diana then panics a bit because she needs space. Um, it's it's a lot for her to take in. Mm-hmm. So she runs out into the woods and Matthew follows her. And Diana starts to remember some things. She remembers Peter Knox coming to the house when she was a child and her father fighting with him. But then... Matthew decides then and there that Diana needs to start learning to protect herself and starts trying to scare her and make her feel like she's prey, maybe not prey, but that she's being attacked and like she needs to protect herself. So Diana's trying to force her magic at first. She's trying to like force the wind around her and force anything to keep, Matthew from getting at her and he kind of helps her through it and he tells her that she should close her eyes and kind of give in to her magic and at this point her third eye opens which is kind of a bit of a bigger moment for her I think in accepting her magic and she can then like sense all the life around her including Matthew's and so she can tell she flies she finally flies. Well, other than that one time. But yeah. it wasn't something that it wasn't, I felt like she would be able to do again. It wasn't conscious when yeah. she flew up the oubliette. So now she'll probably be able to do it again, which is definitely convenient. So Diana shares a, a piece of her energy with Matthew, which is interesting. It's just just a ball of her energy that she taken her hand and give to him yeah, which i didn't really it's yeah i didn't weird. really know like it what. just it just seems like she goes through these moments of control and then this moment of absolute lack of control like mm-hmm. you know and maybe it has something to do with matthew and with um you know just with the situation they're in but mm-hmm. it's just odd to me so like she's with matthew oh she can fly and oh she can take a piece of her energy and and share with him, but then she can't light a freaking candle. Like, it just is yeah. so – and maybe that's part of the inconsistency. Maybe that's sort of part of her being spellbound is the fact that she can do things and maybe not do other things. But to me, it just seemed a little odd. Definitely. No, I agree with that. So they go back to the house, and I think they have supper and such, and then they go upstairs to bed. and. He gets her off again upstairs in bed, and literal stars go off in her in her room <laughs> because magic. <laughs> yeah. So it's been what like two days since she's been tortured. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to be touched like sexually. Yeah. After being tortured for two days for like a day, like her aunt did heal her up a bit, but like. She hasn't really had a chance to sleep, and she just found out that she was spellbound by her mother yeah. as a child. So it's all a bit, bit much. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like she hasn't had the time to like 
process anything. No. Right? And I don't really think she gets the time to process anything ever in this book. No. No, she doesn't. (laughs) There's a lot happening in her life in these last three weeks. Yeah. (sighs) All right. So that is the end of chapter 33. Uh, next week we start our last chapter and the end of this book. Yeah. A lot happens in the last few chapters of these books. Yeah. It's very back half heavy. Well, that wraps it up for this week. If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes or have any book suggestions, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Coffee and Co-Read. That's C-O-F-F-E-E-A-N-D-C-O-R-E-A-D. Next week, we'll be reading the end of A Discovery of Witches. So that's chapter 43 to the very end. So make sure you follow along and hear our ending. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find your content. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on the next page.